Hello, this is Gerd Leonhardt, futurist and author of Technology versus Humanity. Today I have a conversation with Peter Van. Peter is uh, the latest addition to the Futures Agency team. He is the content curator and also is helping me with the Digital Ethics newsletter, which by the way is at digitalethics.co. You can sign up, it's free of course. And we are doing a series of new shows talking about my book, Technology vs. Humanity, chapter by chapter. So Peter has had the job of reading the book uh, in great detail, <laughs> and he will ask me some pointed questions about what I'm trying to say in the book, and today we're doing chapter one. Um, again, if you're interested in the book, it's tech versus vs, techvshuman.com, technology versus humanity. Hello, Peter. Hello, Gert. So what, uh, chapter one, uh, can, can you tell us a bit more about the general layout of chapter one, just to give people a little bit of context? Yeah, uh, in in your book, in chapter one, the, the title of the chapter is A Prologue to the Future. And there are a couple of elements in there where you basically say where we are and where we are going uh, in terms of uh, future and technology uh, future. And then you make a sort of call for action uh, that it's time to do something about what's going on, uh, especially for the survival and the flourishing of human species. Great, that's a good summary. I think we should leave it at that and just go right into the questions about that you find pertinent to, to chapter one. And uh, to the listeners here, I'm also, uh, future project is I'm going to record chapter by chapter as a free MP3. So you can look for that also on the website. It's coming out. But first of all, you know, you've got to buy a thousand copies of the book just right away. <laughs> just kidding. So Peter, get, let's get going. Yeah, so your your main meme opening in chapter one is, and you use it in many of your uh, conversations as well, is humanity will change more in the next 20 years than in the previous 300 years. Can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, um, I get this question all the time. And it's, it sounds kind of like hyperbole or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, stuff, so California stuff. But basically, uh, what's happening is that all the changes of technology 300 years ago, industrial revolution, uh, the atomic bomb and the internet and telephone and so on, they were all outside of us. They didn't change us as a human. They changed our behavior like television, but not, not like we have today. You know, our behavior is totally impacted by social media, by smartphones. Very soon we have augmented virtual reality. So we're going to think different. We're going to see different. We're going to hear different, like language translation. Right? Uh, and very soon we can go inside of our body and change that too. So we can change our genetic makeup. We can change our biome, which we're already experimenting with. We can have prosthesis. We can become cyborgs, right? So this is why I'm saying the next 20 years it will change us as a human. That's completely different than changes outside of us, like, you know, having a fancy telephone or so. So this is why I'm thinking, like, you know, the changes are all coming together. They're exponential. They're combinatorial. So basically all of the advances of science, whether it's uh, – nanotechnology or AI or deep learning, they're all coming together now, right? They're creating new products, new possibilities, and of course, entirely new challenges as well. Yeah, I, I like the, the dimension of behavior, change of behavior. It's like we are entering a second phase of what uh, uh, Douglas Rushkoff at the time wrote, program or be programmed. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like uh, being... Uh, sucked into this whole online world where you get recommendations. And so those big organizations are 
on purpose, intentionally trying to reprogram our behavior? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are, um, let's put it this way, intention or not, I mean, really what they're working on is influencing us and changing us so that we can fit their setup better, right? Mm -hmm. So now if you have anything interesting to share, you won't tell anyone, you'll put it on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it seems like every conversation that we're having with people must be mediated by somebody. You know? mm -hmm. It's like, if it's not mediated, it's not worthy. You know, Douglas uh, talks in his new book, Team Human, I think he talks a lot about these things. And we're on the same agenda there, which, by the way, I recommend very much you look at Douglas's book, uh, Team Human, mm -hmm. uh, in that context. But um, I think this is really important that, you know, inadvertently or by design, you know, we're moving to a world that is essentially sort of remote controlled by a lot of these large platforms and, and what they allow us to do. And then we forget what we can do without them because, you know, <laughs> we're lazy convenience and so on, you know. Your book was uh, published, I think, in 2016. And I, I noticed that a couple of the memes in the book are now being taken up by uh, people like Tim O'Reilly in a recent article that was labeled Gradually Then Suddenly. I found this theme, Gradually Then Suddenly, in your first chapter of your book of 2016 already. So what do you mean with the Gradually Then Suddenly? Yeah, I think a lot of the memes are kind of universal thinking that are cruising around the internet in various incarnations. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm quite happy about that. You know, I wrote a book in, um, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago called From Ego to Eco. And then as I was writing, there was an, another guy, Otto Sharma, who published a book with the title From Ego to Eco. <laughs> yes. So, yes. so there's, there's lots of overlap here, and I'm happy about that. I think Gradually Then Suddenly is taken from Hemingway, of course, from uh, a character named Mark in one of his books. Uh, who's, who answers the question, how does a man get broke gradually, then suddenly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what is happening with technology is, and this is very hard for us to understand because humans are linear. You know, we are working day by day, hour by hour. You know, we, we don't exponentially grow. We don't exponentially change. You know, it's a process. Right? While technology leaps. That is because when you think binary, uh, you give it more firepower and more and more juice, you know, then you can you can leap exponentially. But you know, more firepower wouldn't do anything for us because you know we, we can't just increase our brain capacity and then it would be faster exponential for us. Uh, well, some people are saying that we can, but I don't think we can. So basically, the the problem with uh, gradually that suddenly is that we don't see the change because it's so gradual. You know, so we don't see the change, for example, that's occurring in the medical field. Uh, with CRISPR-Cas9 and genome editing and, mm. and, and all the things that are happening until the moment that a Chinese doctor uh, work, works on two babies and, and allegedly has changed their genes not to get HIV, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're saying, oh, shit, you're gradually then suddenly. It's suddenly here. And this is really hard for us to comprehend, but we must understand that we're going, you know, we're going exponentially into the future. Yeah. In, in the same uh, uh, spirit, in the same thinking, in, in your book, you also have a sort of uh, confrontation, if I can call it that way, uh, of humans versus transhumans. And I know you're, pun intended, a big fan of Zoltan Istvan, <laughs> uh, where he basically says, hey guys, we are the future, like it or not. And your uh, idea of a trans of a, of a humanist approach to that is that this sort of transhumanism poses a danger um, of being human and free and authentic. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And there was a, a German word in there that you may want to expand on it, the Das Ein, I think. Dasein, yes. Dasein, Dasein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why did you add it to this part of the conversation? Yeah, I think first, I think the idea of transcending our human limitations uh, is interesting when you think about if that is not going to be, if transcending doesn't mean we're going to leave something behind, right? Uh, I mean, if you take a cholesterol pill to lower your cholesterol, you're transcending humanity, right? But uh, in return, you're going to get some side effects. Everybody knows that. And and Marshall McLuhan has already said, the more we extend humanity and our human skills, the more we amputate something else. So the telephone is amputating conversations, which, you know, we can live with that. The TV is amputating, making music at home, maybe, things like that. Uh, Some of that we can live with. But if we were to extend humanity by taking away all the things that make us human that are kind of a pain in the butt, you know, lies, mistakes, serendipity, accidents, uh, imagination, intuition, uh, you know, the things that are difficult for machines that are not binary, you know, if we take that all away because we want it to be more efficient, we want to be superhuman, so we never make a mistake, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a ridiculous concept, you know, because... To me, that is definitely a downgrade, not an upgrade. Right. right. Uh, it's, uh, so the, this idea of Dasein, which is a German word for existence, means that <clears throat> we are not just defined by mathematical rules, you know, as I think Harari says, or I think he says that uh, organisms are algorithms. Right? Uh-huh. And I don't think we are. I think if we were just algorithms, and there is a possibility for that, we will at least need another, another hundred years to figure out what that algorithm is. You have another word for human algorithms, right? Yeah, I call it andro rhythms, you know, the mm-hmm. human rhythms. And they are what makes us human. And, and actually, that's a website, androrhythms.com. But so we're talking about passion, intuition, emotions, empathy, compassion. Now, try to imagine a computer to actually be compassionate. There's a very big difference between knowing what compassionate is Mm. as as zeros and ones information or text or or images and being impassionate. That's like you could understand what what compassionate is by looking at images and saying, oh, Gerd looks like he's compassionate, right? And that's a volume of maybe 0.5% of 100. But being compassion (laughs) is 100. And and so we shouldn't confuse these two things. That's very dangerous, you know, that we're saying, oh, the computer knows what compassionate is. You know, the computer knows the meaning, the mathematical meaning of that definition. It does not know what it feels like. It does not know what a face is just because it can do face recognition. It doesn't know what it, what it feels like to have a face. Yeah? And will machines learn that? Yeah, maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years. Eventually, I think they probably can. And that would be the, the point that Ray Kurzweil called singularity, right? Um, that is going to be quite dangerous for us to, to manage. It looks like the, the machines are focusing on uh, two outer aspects of being human in the sense of the scientific part and the mathematical part, but they completely ignore uh, two deeper dimensions, which I would label as uh, what is imaginable and what is uh, possible. So we are there in, in the space of uh, almost uh, philosophy and of human flourishing. and uh, Well, I think the things that make us human are 
the things that uh, I think Minsky, Marvin Minsky once said, uh, we, 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 know, we know the things the best that we don't know that we know. <sighs> yeah? so, so basically we are doing this thing just because we can. We don't even think about it. I mean, if I see a stranger on the street or on the airport, 0 0.4 seconds to estimate what that person is. Huh. And, and you know, because we're receiving transmissions on a thousand channels, you know, we don't just get zeros and ones, you know, where, and I always like to say that yeah, machines are binary and we are multinary. Yep, yep. Uh, and, and when machines switch to quantum computing, they may be able to have multinary information, uh, for example, which includes things like what's called the intractable problem. So a computer will not find an objective solution uh, to two or three data points that are constantly changing because as it's found the solution, the other point has changed and it has to start again. Uh, and a human can easily say, you know what, ignore this, here's my decision. Mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. machines can't do that. Machines can't do uh, accidents and mistakes and uh, uh, misunderstandings and wishes and, you know, mystery, right? I mean, if, if it was up to machines, there would be no mystery. Mm -hmm. And what's alive without mystery? It's interesting. It's not the sort of uh, narrative that one usually hears from speakers coming from Silicon Valley. In your book, you also highlight that Europe has a big opportunity here. What, what's the opportunity? Well, I think Europe is an amazing, <laughs> let's say, state, United States of Europe, um, that has the tradition of the thinking and the collective human thinking. I mean, most people in Europe are humanists. Right? Uh, and they're not technologists. Uh, they're not uh, Silicon Valley utopians in that sense. You know, they're, and this is, all, of course, also a problem that makes us slower. You know, we, we think about the past and the present and a little bit about the future. You know? <laughs> and Americans think only about the future. The past, is, the past gets burned, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're in a good position because we understand what it means to be human. Like if you go to Portugal and you say, you know what? transcending humanity, uh, uploading my brain to the internet, you know, most people will shake their head and disbelieve. Uh, you know, longevity, living forever, the end of dying. Yeah, that sounds all very positive, but, you know, most people in Europe would say that's ridiculous, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, we have an interesting proposition there. I think Europe could be the place where technology and humanity can converge uh, and where we can build a system that takes care of both, you know, embrace technology, but don't become it, as I say in the book. Uh, while America is hopelessly stuck in the capitalist loop, it will do whatever it takes to make money. And China is a, a you know, it's basically a neo-capitalist state uh, that does the same thing, except for the state does it, not the VCs. Well, now the VCs do it as well. <laughs> not saying anything bad about China. You know, I, I admire mm -hmm. many things about China. But mm -hmm. anyway, so I think this is why Europe has such a good position. But we have to come together and create a framework, what I call the Digital Ethics Council, right? uh -huh. to say, okay, what is right and what is wrong on the top-level issues, not of the minor issues. You know, that, that would be too granular. But the top level issues, you know, how do we define our future? What do we want to be? Yeah, that's a tough question. What do we want to be? Um, I'll ask you a last question just to get you going and maybe going overboard. Uh, who is Ray Kurzweil? <laughs> 
Yeah, Ray, Ray, of course, is the chief scientist for Google, huh? the inventor of the Kurzweil piano and, and maybe 50 other things that he has invented. Uh-huh. Uh, I think his, his first book was How to Make a Human or his last book. Uh, anyway, he's, a, he's uh-huh. kind of, he started with the whole singularity discussion and, and Ray is essentially proposing that we upload our brain, that we become one with the machine. Uh, right. So uh, the singularity, transhumanism, and you know, Ray's extremely bright guy. I love his work. I read all his books. I look at his video. But it's a freezing kind of thought uh, that we would sell out to be superhuman. We would sell out everything else that makes us human, just just so that we can live to be 150. Mm-hmm. I think it's a chilling uh, conversation to have to say is that we're not enough, and we have to keep up with the machines. So therefore. I'm going to need arms and legs that are a hundred times better than what I have. So I cut them off and I get new ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, all these things are a little bit like principal ideas, probably not totally incorrect that we can approve ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. but in the extreme, it's dehumanizing. um, I very very much like the the words unfreezing, unfrozen. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you you probably can do something with that. It's I don't know who said it that music is like a frozen architecture or something along those lines. Yeah. And it seems to me, and especially in in this chapter one, that you are offering an unfreezing opportunity, an unfreezing way of thinking about this uh, future, unfreezing the thinking of people like uh, Istvan and uh, Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, I think, you know, it's good that these people exist. We, we need all kinds of people in the future. We need people who want to be, you know, cyborgs and live, live in the, on the internet and stuff. Yeah, we need those people, but we still need a general societal consensus. Uh, and we also need laws and regulations and, and we need a social contact that says, yeah, you know, uh, alcohol is not illegal, uh, but drinking a bottle of brandy at nine o'clock in the morning is probably not socially acceptable. <laughs> And so, yes, we can cure cancer using uh, g- genomic uh, editing in the future, but it should not be legal to use genomic editing so that I can say, well, my kids really should you know, have the following attributes, and then I'm just going to program them, uh, <clears throat> and they will be superior in every way. I, I, I don't think that should be legal in, in, in that sort of return, you know, if you flip the argument, yeah. <clears throat> so, so, so that gets into you know we need a council of wise people like ancient Greece, right? Yes. Uh, so you're calling for uh, politicians and policymakers or experts or regulators to uh, step up and to join uh, the debate and the conversation. But do you think they're up to speed to do this? I mean, uh, it's like they need some sort of driver's license before we can engage in that conversation. If you look at the the interrogation of Zuckerberg uh, in, in the yeah. US. The questions that were asked by the senators were, um, were just terrible, so ignorant about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, um, <clears throat> the topic of a driver's license for the future has been popping up in my speeches a lot, and we have now a, a, an animation on this very soon. Yeah. I mean, basically, I think every politician, every public official, whether it's a mayor or just a guy running a party or, or in government, whatever, needs to have a, a, a certificate that he understands, or she, more she's, hopefully, will understand the future, right? Uh, because, you know, the, the issues that are gradually and suddenly, right, 
Uh, I mean, these issues are not in 50 years, they're in five years. Yeah? You're going to have to decide what it means to be human in five years. And right now they have no clue that that even exists. Yeah. Right? And, they, and so that's one thing. The other thing is, is on the Digital Ethics Council, I don't necessarily think that this should be politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I think politicians have jobs to do that are much more practical and pragmatic and the democratic process is tedious, you know, so they, uh, they spend a lot of time on the process. Uh, in America, that means mostly raising money. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we need the Ethics Council to be like a council of the wise people. Uh, and there should definitely be 50-50 men, women, that's for one thing. But we should have people that, are, that get paid very nicely, like a CEO, to do nothing else but to ponder those large issues uh, and to issue recommendations. When is that going to happen, Gert? When, when are you going to install this Digital Ethics Council? Well, I'm working on that, you know. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm, I'm writing a white paper about this right now. But I think the, the Global Digital Ethics Council is unavoidable if we're going to solve issues beyond national administration. Of course, the UN has many initiatives in this direction, but I think the problem with the UN is that if you are a rapporteur or anybody in the UN, you know, you can do this job if you happen to have the money to not work, you know? Uh, and I think that's a totally wrong approach. I mean, we spend, how much money do we spend on research for artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think last year was something like 56 billion, right? Wow. wow. And how much money do we spend on securing humanity? And, and uh, you know, that's like, okay, a bunch of researchers, academics, and some some writers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and people like us, you know, that, that just can't be true because, you know, I think we have to spend as much money on humanity as we spend on technology because otherwise technology will be humanity, will, will replace humanity because it makes money. Right? Yeah. And that's why you have said that many, many, many occasions that we are at the crucial, crucial junction of what it means or to define what it means to, to be human. Yes, you know, I mean, uh, um, Tim Cook said this when he was speaking in, in, in Brussels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, technology uh, um, can be awesome, can do awesome things, but it does not want to do all, awesome things. It doesn't want anything. Right? And then he said in his next sentence, we will have to decide what we want to be because now technology affords us to be whatever. Right? Yeah, it was more what society we want to to have i think that yeah 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 uh, but of course you know his we usually refers to apple but but um so in, on the larger story this is the key question you know what does it mean to be human what are the limitations of that what it what is it what is dehumanizing and what is humanizing and sometimes i jokingly say we need to rehumanize technology mm-hmm. uh and this will be very very pertinent to social media mm-hmm. uh put the human back inside because it has come, it has become dehumanized, and and when things become dehumanized too much, I think our social contract collapses. I, I think it's a, a nice uh, segue into chapter two. Uh, where, <laughs> Absolutely, where, yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I see that the sub subtitle of chapter two is "Let's stop and consider our humanity for a moment." Yes. Uh, I th- so, you know, my, my position on this whole thing is that I, I'm totally for technology. I believe technology is amazing. We can solve most of our 
practical problems like water, food, energy, using technology. Technology will not solve social, cultural, human, political problems. It, it will make them worse mm. because it's an efficiency engine. Right? Mm -hmm. And if we want to live in a world that is not just technology, uh, then we're going to have to create a framework for it. And that does not mean we're going to be less uh, investing less in science, you know, but science also needs a purpose. And the purpose is to make humanity flourish, not to uh, achieve an invention uh, that is doubtful or that cannot be regulated. And I mean, this is basically something that we need to agree on. So let's stop there and wrap up. Huh? Sure. So, um, you can find more about the book. I find out more about the book at tech versus human tech vs human.com. Uh, Future with Gerd, my website, my YouTube channel, gerdtube.com, uh, G E R D, like gastrointestinal reflux disease, same thing. <laughs> uh, and Peter Van, you can find him on my webpage starting next week. We have a relaunch. Uh, anything else you want to add, Peter? No, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, the next uh, podcast. W when will that be? Is that uh, a weekly or monthly sort of schedule? Well, it depends how fast you read, you know, but uh, no, basically we can, I think this will be a weekly thing. Right? Yeah. And okay. of course you can find this on my podcast channel. If, uh, if you found this on my blog, I have a channel on iTunes. Just look for Gerd Leonhardt uh, and of course SoundCloud uh, where it all got started and Spotify as of lately, just search there and there's, all of the audio versions of my keynotes are also to be found there. And, you know, one more thing at the end, you know, we just started, Peter and me, a digital ethics uh, newsletter, digitalethics.co. You can sign up there. We're going to have a bunch of podcasts coming out and a bunch of new speeches, uh, blog posts on my website. So my focus is uh, this year on this whole digital ethics topic. You can find more on that by using the hashtag digital ethics on Twitter. You can see all the wisdom sprouting or, you know, basically exploding there. So thanks very much for tuning in. And thanks, Peter. Thank you, Gert. Thank you. Um, nice we'll talk, talk soon. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.